falls into our continuation of working our way through Colossians, and I know we took a we took a break last week for Sanctity of Life, and actually we'll be taking a break next week because we'll have a missionary here with us. But we're going to pick back up here. This is our third week in Colossians, and the power of this idea of changing the story is a great lead-in. We're going to pick up Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. Today we're going to talk about knowledge and wisdom. I'm going to give you a, a, a series of lists that are in this passage, uh, verses 9 through 12, that we're going to read. But we're not going to make it through these lists. I can't make it through all this stuff. And I'm actually not going to make it all the way through the first three in the first list, and there's three lists. Colossians 1, 9 through 12. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we have not stopped praying for you. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance of life. Now, here's I'm going to give you these three lists that we're, we're going to work on the first one today. Here's the first list. We see this in the, uh, in the first portion of, or the latter portion of verse 9. I titled this Lifestyle Established. It's things that, that we see Paul pray for, because he said, since we've heard about this, and if you backed up to verse 8, he talks about that we've heard about your love that you have in the Spirit. So you have a, a love for people, the love of God that's given to you and poured out in you through the Holy Spirit. And he says, and because of this, since the day that we heard that, we haven't stopped praying for you. And we're asking for some very specific things to happen in your life. And, and these first three things are that I see them as, he says, I want these things to establish your lifestyle. And, and it is this, that you'll be filled with the knowledge of his will, you'll be filled with all wisdom, and that you'll be filled with all spiritual understanding. Now that's the, that's the first one. The second one then, the second list, is that your lifestyle would be lived out. And he says there, he says, then he says, I, I want you to walk worthy where you'll be fully pleasing to God, that you'll bear fruit in every good work, and that you'll grow in the knowledge of God. And then we finally get the third list. And the third list is then that your lifestyle would be empowered. And he says, may you be strengthened with all power, and then that you'll be given endurance, and that you'll be given patience. Now, my goodness, if we can get those three lists of things together in our lives, filled with all knowledge of his will, filled with all wisdom, filled with all spiritual understanding, and then, then we begin to live that out so we walk worthy in a way that fully pleases God, we're bearing fruit in every good work, and we're growing in the knowledge of God, and how are we going to be able to do that? Because he empowers us, because we will be strengthened with all power, we'll be given endurance, and we'll be given patience. That's, that's enough stuff. We could work on that, honestly, for the rest of the year because if those things come into play in our lives, then I promise everything else falls into, into place. So today we're going to talk about the first two out of the first list, and that will be 
the knowledge of his will. The knowledge of his will. Here, here's, a, here's a simple truth. You cannot do what you don't know is to be done. You cannot do what you don't know is to be done. I have heard Caleb oftentimes uh, look at him. He's like, dear Lord, anytime he says my name, who knows what's about to get said. <laughs> look, he's got that look on his face right now. Now, I've heard Caleb many times where, uh, and I probably did it when I was a kid too, and most of you, you probably did it, and some of y'all that are married, I know you men have done it. Look, how many times have you said when someone, it might have been your, your significant other, being your spouse, it might have been your parents, it might have been somebody at school, they came and said, did you do this? And you said, well, you didn't tell me to do that. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. Now, most of the time we as parents look and say, well, you should have known you needed to do that, right? Our spouses maybe even, you know, you should have known you needed it. Well, and guys in particular, we're list makers, so if you give me the list and there's five things on the list, I'll do the five things on the list. If there's a sixth thing, that wasn't on the list. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and all the ladies are going, man, y'all stop amening. Look, it's the same truth with God's will. If we don't know what God's will is, then it's kind of difficult for us to do God's will and to be in God's will. And quite honestly, I've come to believe that much of the confusion that's going on in the community of faith is not caused by outside influence. I'm not believing that it's caused by, oh, that the world is... is just somehow overpowering us and all this. Look, the Bible says greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So, so there really should be no way that the world is influencing us to do things outside of God's will. It's just if we're walking in the strength and the power that God has given us, if we're being led by the Holy Spirit to, to pursue into truth, because the, the Word of God says that when He comes that He'll lead and guide you into all truth, there should not be... The, the, the issues within the community of faith of us being overwhelmed, overcome by things, and not walking according to God's will. Rather, I believe it is that we don't know God's will. And because we don't know God's will, we don't do God's will. And because we don't know God's will, we don't recognize that we are not in God's will. Because when, when you see that there is... Uh, a, a framework of God's will that we should be operating within, then you have a standard of reference to be able to look at to say, this in my life does not fall within that framework. This is outside of God's will. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't be a part of this. I should not partake of this, whatever it is. And since people don't know God's will, then they're easily distracted and they're swayed by persuasive arguments. I want you to take, I don't, if you got your, if you got your Bible, if you got your phone, whatever you got, because you know, I mean, if you hadn't downloaded a church app, you can get signals on this stuff and it'll take you right to the scripture using, using that, using our church app. But if you got your Bible, if you got your phone, you got your tablet, it doesn't matter. Take out whatever you got. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter four in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter four. This is not an unfamiliar passage. But I want you to see what the Bible says about how we should be 
not swayed by these arguments and by things that come along that, that interfere and disrupt us, get us off track. So Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11. Here's what it says. And he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints and the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. He says, look, one of the purposes even that the, that the body of Christ exists in the fashion of church is so that people that God has called to different ministry areas. He says then that's used to bring us all into the unity of the faith. In other words, that we come to believe and understand the same things. That we come to this unity both in the faith and in the knowledge. Notice that? He didn't just say a unity in the faith and we go, oh yeah, well we're all of this denomination or we're all of that denomination, whatever. He says the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. Growing into a mature person that's measured against Christ's fullness. Not being children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. Much of what I'm seeing right now in the... Uh, there's a lot of faith activities that are uh, getting a lot of airplay uh, right now. Whether, and it's, and some, of it's, some of it's not stuff that we would consider to be viable. Uh, it, there's as much... Uh, of things outside of Christianity that are getting a lot of news attention and things like that. There are people that are that are standing against uh, your your traditional Christianity. They're getting a lot of airplay on stuff, and and I see a lot of confusion, a lot of confusion among people. It doesn't matter sometimes whether they're young, old, whatever else. They're very confused. They're confused about what to think about uh, policy in the United States. They're confused about what to think regarding. Uh, decisions that are being made, whatever. A lot of that simply has to do with the fact that we don't know God's will, that we're not far enough into God's word to understand God's will. And so when something comes along that sounds good and someone makes a persuasive argument, then we kind of get pulled in by that and we get blown around by every wind of teaching. Now, here's the interesting thing. I, a pastor that I served under in Indiana he used to make this statement. He would say, the interesting thing about being deceived is that you don't know it. Right, now, I know you kind of go, huh, there you go. There's not anything like earth-shattering about that. But we don't often think about it. When you are deceived, it's not that you're sitting there going, you know, I, I'm deceived. <laughs> right? What you are doing is you're sitting there going, everyone else is deceived. If, if you don't hold this opinion that I do, if you don't do, then, then you're all wrong. You're all deceived because you don't realize that you are deceived. That's the awesome thing about deception is that you don't know it. And so if you don't have a firm foundation in knowing God's will, then someone comes along and they throw out a persuasive argument, the Word of God says, and all of a sudden you go, well, you know what? That kind of makes sense. 
Because I, I, here's the reality. You won't be deceived by something that is just blatantly, absolutely just, I hate to use the S word, but stupid. You won't get fooled by that stuff. I mean, if somebody walked up and said, that's not Sean. You'd be like, really? I mean, I, that's Sean. That, that's Sean right there. They go, no, that's not Sean. Yes, it is. No, it's not. And he's not wearing a jacket either. Really? I mean, you won't get fooled by those things. Someone could come along and say, well, you know what? Jesus is not the Son of God. And you go, wow, I've never thought about that. You're right. I need to forsake Christianity. <laughs> That's not the way this works. It's not, the, it's not the way deception works. Deception has just enough truth, just enough logic, just enough accuracy that you go, huh. And you start through this process. I, I heard it described one time, said it starts out as a toehold, a foothold, and then it becomes a stronghold. Because it just gets his toe in the door where you can't shut the door on that belief and go, hey, you need to get away from me, Satan, get behind me, get somewhere in the name of Jesus. And, and you just let him get a little toehold in. And then eventually he works his foot on in the door. And, I, and so now, you know, he can see in the house a whole lot more. Because if you just got the door cracked that much, you can pretty much get one eye, you know, get a little depth perception problem, one eye. But then he gets it on, and then he gets in, and it becomes a stronghold. And all of a sudden, now the challenge becomes... How do you tear down a stronghold? And it's painful to tear down a stronghold in our lives because once something has been built up and established and it's rooted, it it's gets grounded in our lives, and this is true on both sides, guys, on something that's biblical but something that's not biblical. Once that gets built up and rooted in, tearing it down is a difficult process. It's messy. It, it destroys some things. It tears some things. Caleb and I off and on have been working on, on uh, the, the laundry. We're, we're working as the finances are there. That's what Bert asked me the other day. He said, how's your laundry coming? I said, it's coming about as good as the finances are. When, <laughs> when they're available, we'll do some more work on it. But when we started tearing stuff out, you know, no matter how much I tried to score sheetrock where it met another wall or whatever, look, there's just going to be some repair done. Because tearing that out and getting stuff that had been nailed on, and they, this, was, this house was built in 1962, y'all. They weren't using some of the little, you know, air gun nailing stuff. These nails look like you could put railroad spikes down with them. I mean, it's, it's just, they're big. Caleb's in there, you know, with a pry bar, and he's like hanging off the ceiling with his full weight trying to get one to come out of a board that's denser than most stuff I've seen lately. Look, it just tearing down strongholds causes some damage and requires some healing and some work. And so a lot of times we just don't want to tear them down. It's easier to just continue to buy into the stronghold, but we really get like children that are blown about. Now, many people have knowledge of things, but they never follow through with practical application. Many people have read about things, but they've never done them in real life, right? I mean... You've probably at some point read about skydiving, but most of you haven't done it. You know, I've read about brain surgery, but I promise if you have a problem, you don't want me operating on you. I mean, but I read about it. There's the, the, the series of commercials right now, you know, where the guy comes up, whatever it is, you know, it's a bear loose or something. He's going, you just need to roll over and lay down. And, and, and they're going, wow, are you, you, you like a, a bear expert? No, but I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night, you know. That's the way sometimes we are about things in our lives, especially in our spiritual lives. We go, I read about that you're supposed to have faith, so I'm going to tell you, you need to have faith. 
I've never really done it myself, you know. And the last time that I had something come up, I was laying in the floor, you know, acting, acting like the world had just come to an end. But in your situation, brother, hey, just buck up, man. It's, you're, have faith. A lot of stuff we've read about, and we have head knowledge, but it has never translated into real life. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Flip over there. Make you work today. If I'm going to shorten it up, you're going to have to work. How about that? 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Another familiar passage. We just got to think about what's, what's in here. But know this, difficult times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. For among them are those who worm their way into households and capture idle women. Don't be offended by these, says women. They capture some idle men, too. Uh, burdened down with sins, led along by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth, men who are corrupt in mind, worthless in regard to the faith. Did you catch the statement there? He said, always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. I'm an advocate for that you need to constantly be educating yourself. I, I, I'm, that, that does not fall into the realm of it, that you necessarily need to be going to college, that you need to be taking extra, extra you know, CEUs and all that stuff. But read Read God's Word, especially read God's Word. Start there, because if you don't have that foundation, you'll interpret a lot of other things that you read really off base. A non-spiritual concept of knowledge of God's will is not enough, though. I think there are a lot of people that have read what the Word says about God's will. Because if, if you just do an Internet search on what does the Scripture say about God's will, then you will see multiple instances where it clearly says, and this is the will of God for you. And so when you see those things, then there is a clear answer for what is God's will in many things. When I was a kid growing up in church, we, um, if you grew up in church and you all had children's church and you're old enough at this age, then you, uh, you remember that you would do a pledge to the flag you do a pledge to the Christian flag, and you do a pledge to the Bible. And, and, you, and even if you didn't grow up in church, if you went to VBS, most of the time they did it at a vacation Bible school. And part of what you would say in the pledge to the Bible was, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. What was he saying? He said, I learn what your will is. I learn what you're saying so that therefore I know how to live in my life, so that I operate within those parameters. The word that's used, though, in the Scripture where he actually says that, that I pray that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, when we read that as an English word, we think about you have an empty cup and you pour water into it and you go, all right, that got to the top, it's full. I filled it up. 
But that is not the New Testament concept of being filled with the knowledge of His will. It included the idea that you, it, you would be controlled by this thing. So while you were filled up with it, then it would also control you. So he says, what I'm really praying is that you would be filled and controlled by the knowledge of God's will. Listen to that. I don't just pray that you know it, but I pray that it is what guides and directs your life. That it controls the decisions you make. It controls the paths you choose. It controls the things you say. It controls the things that you eventually think. But it, it doesn't just, you're filled up with knowing it, but you're filled up with being controlled by it. That it directs your path. found an interesting statement. Um, the general will of God is found in the Bible. You, you won't find, you're going to find a general will of God that's stated for all of his people, regardless of who you are, regardless of your age, regardless of your background, your financial status, any of those things. You will see the general will of God in his word. But the specific will of God, which is for a given situation in your life, will never, repeat it, it will never conflict with his general will. So when I hear people say things, well, they say, well, this is what I believe God wants to happen in my life. I go, wait a minute, but that doesn't agree with Scripture. Well, but Scripture doesn't say anything specifically about this. No, but it conflicts with His general will that is revealed in Scripture. It, it gets out of alignment with what His general will is. I, I've I've wondered here recently, I've started seeing circular arguments about things because there's so much going on. We just came out of Sanctity for Life. You've had, you had the, 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 the two different marches that have happened, both uh, pro-abortion and then pro-life. You've had all of this discussion going on on the news with these things and, and regarding these two, these two marches. But here's, here's the reality. I've, I've watched some of the arguments go on and some of the discussions go on about Things like abortion. And you can present all of the facts about life inside the Word of God. And then I would see people say, well, yeah, but Christians only care about them being born. And then after they're born, they don't care about taking care of them. Okay, what's your point? Let's say you're, let's say you're right. Does, does that mean that abortion's okay then? Because, no, because we can't answer because we see God's will in the general state. If you, even if you don't necessarily see the word abortion stated in the word of God, what you see is that he gave life. You see all the things that we talked about last week. You see where that God is the God of life. So his general will is, he said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundant. Well, there's his general will. So how could, in a specific situation that you're in, even as difficult as it is, how could that conflict with God's general will that is, I came to give you life and that you'd have it more abundant? I've heard of people in churches that, that even pastors that, that ended up running off with their secretary. That's why I don't have a secretary. <laughs> now, if I do, it's going to be my wife. <laughs> that way, if I run off with the secretary, we'd just be taking a vacation. <laughs> but look, these people, they'll run off with the secretary. And honest to goodness, they will say to people in their church, they'll say, I realize that I married wrong. I realize I married the wrong person. 
I married somebody, and that was not who God wanted me to marry. And so we ended up split up, and now I have found the person that God intended for me. But, and they were supposedly a Christian the whole time during all of that. And, and cheated on their wife in order to then hook up with the secretary and then divorce their wife, run off with the secretary to leave the church and leave the ministry. How can your specific situation get out of context with God's general will? See, that's the difference between us being able to have the knowledge of God's will, but being able to do something with that. I want to read you a quote from Warren Wearsby in his commentary on this passage. He says, The better we know God's general will, the easier it will be to determine his specific guidance in daily life. Paul did not encourage the Colossians to seek visions or wait for voices. He prayed that they might get deeper into God's word and thus have greater wisdom and insight concerning God's will. I'll tell you something. If you're not in God's will, when stuff starts speaking to you and telling you stuff, God's not the only one that'll try to speak to you. And godly people aren't the only ones that'll try to speak into your life. There'll be some people come along and they'll say, oh, I feel like you know the Lord. And they'll encourage you in doing something that's sinful. They'll encourage you in doing something that's wrong. They'll even lead you to do something that's sinful and wrong. And if you're not far enough into God's word to know God's will, you can be fooled by that because you respect that person. You respect their education. You respect their background. You respect their family, whatever it is. Then you can go off into something following because you don't know enough about God's stated will in his word to be able to hear something and go, I reject that because it's not in accordance with God's word. So wisdom, knowledge without wisdom is a problem. And I, I like the fact that he didn't just say, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will, but he said, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom. We're not going to get the spiritual understanding this week. We're going to get to it next week because it's, it's a big one. It's a big one all by itself. But the knowledge of his will in wisdom. Knowledge in general has to be accompanied by wisdom for the specific. One of the intense challenges for the Christ followers is to apply the spiritual knowledge that they have and to apply it in wisdom for the circumstance. I'm going to give you a personal example. I've told you guys before about when Michelle and I had only been married maybe a couple of years, and some friends of mine, Scott Prater and Chris Bentley and a couple of other guys that some of these folks know, they, they, were going, they want to go rappelling up on Chihaw before they put in all that that path that goes out there now and the, the deck that you can stand on and all that, we went rappelling off out, out there at Ball Rock. And, and so, and I was so scared. I've told y'all, short version is that, that I mean, because you sit down backwards into open space with a harness on and a rope tied to you. And, and when I sat down, adrenaline flowed through me like I've never felt in my life. And and, you know, about halfway down, because it kind of curved back, back under a little bit now, I started getting excited because I realized, all right, I'm not going to die. And, or at this point anyway. And I'm, now I'm yelling. I'm, woo! You know, coming down that thing. It was, I got to the bottom, and the adrenaline rushed so hard, I cramped on my entire body. And I couldn't walk. It took me about 20 minutes to be able to get back up to the top because I couldn't get but about five or ten steps, and I'd have to sit down. And out. It was just like having a charley horse all over your body. 
Now, I want to tell you about knowledge and wisdom in that situation. <laughs> knowledge, I knew it was a dangerous activity. I knew that if I fell 100 feet, it would result at least in serious injury if it didn't result in death. I knew I had a wife and an infant at home that were depending on me that if I went and chose to do this and something, the, the potential happened, I'm leaving a wife and a couple-year-old child at home to fend for themselves. But what did I do? My desire to go along with my friends, my desire to go do this activity with you know my buddies that were going, oh, come on, come on, man, it's safe because Chris knows how to do this. He's good at this. He's got all the equipment. Everything will be all right. Go ahead and come on and do it. Well, I didn't want to be the one that said no. I didn't want to be the one that did. Knowledge told me this is risky. There's a lot of downside, no pun intended, if, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like many things in life. If you fall flat on your face doing this one, it's not good. Y'all get that in a minute. That just went right over, you know, that went right over some of y'all. But my desire overrode the knowledge. Wisdom did not kick in and lead my decision. And quite honestly, when it was over, because Michelle actually really didn't want me to go do it. But I was determined, no, I, I really want to go do it. And so I said, well, you know, okay. And, but, and I defended it after the fact. I even defended it by saying, look, didn't nobody get hurt? Nobody fell. There weren't any. I mean, you know, by the time I went down, I went twice. You know, I did it twice. Everybody else, I think, did it about four times because I was the only one who couldn't walk coming back up, you know. And, and so I did it twice, and, and I said, but, but look, nobody got hurt. There wasn't any problems. Nobody. So I defended that because the end result, the bad stuff didn't happen, well, that helped make my decision better, even though my knowledge told me this is not a good idea and wisdom just didn't kick in. As Christ followers, we know Many things that God has instructed us to do. We know the pitfalls of not doing those things. We know if we don't read our word. We know if we don't spend time in prayer. We know if we don't, if we don't spend time disciplining our, ourselves in our, in our lives and in the, thing that, in the things that God brings to our attention. We know if we don't do those things, we know the pitfalls. We know the struggle it causes help. We also know the benefits if we will do those things. We know that we'll grow in grace, we'll grow in wisdom, we'll grow in stature. We'll, we know the pitfalls, we know the benefits, we still don't do them, right? Sometimes we just don't do them because we struggle with being able to take knowledge and wisely turn it into action. And what unlocks that process for us is wisdom. Exodus chapter 31 Verses 1 through 5. I want to show you. This is from a passage you probably never thought about for this, but I want you to see this. The Lord also spoke to Moses, Look, I have appointed by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with God's spirit, with wisdom, understanding, and ability in every craft to design artistic works in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut gemstones for mounting, and to carve wood for work in every craft. Now, I want you to see what it says that God gave him. Because we don't even think about this necessarily in context with this message today. But, but God just dropped this on. He look, God says, look, I have empowered this guy with certain things, and look at what the, the things are that he gave him. 
He said, I gave him my spirit, so I gave him guidance. Because we know that in the context of New Testament church, which we are then, that the Holy Spirit that's given to us, again, as I said earlier, that he's given, and he'll lead and guide us into all truth. So he will give us spiritual guidance. But then he said, and I gave him wisdom. So I gave him practical application. I gave him understanding. I gave him knowledge. That's what it said, understanding. And then I gave him ability. I gave him talent. How many people have you seen in your life at times, they have talent? Because many people have a natural raw talent. For instance, you'll see athletes that, that as they're coming up as a kid, you can tell they have natural raw talent. But they don't know the fundamentals yet. They don't know the... So they have raw ability, but then you got to get them understanding. Now, there's a couple of us in here that, that we tend to watch, you know, some Duke basketball at times. Man, I've been so disappointed lately because there's a young guy. I actually know the church that he goes to in Florida. He has tripped people like three, four times. He's ended up all kind of... And, and he had a great... Christian witness before he started tripping people and everything. He's got talent. He knows he's got the, the understanding. He has the knowledge. His wisdom is stinking it up because there'll be, it'll be wide open and he's like, oh, trip. You know the one I'm talking about when he, he oh, tripped a guy. I mean, I thought he was trying to judo kick him in the middle of the I'm like, Alan, what are you doing? I've been praying that God's Spirit would give him some guidance. <laughs> Help him with that wisdom. Look, we've all seen it where that you have talents, even you get knowledge, but you don't know how to apply it. Because you need wisdom. God saw that in, in this passage that we just looked at, he was preparing the people who would build portions of the temple and, and provide for the, all of the things that would happen in the temple. And so he gives this guy his spirit to guide him, wisdom to know how to do as far as applying, that he would have practical knowledge and he'd give him talent and ability. Wow. Wow. But he didn't give them in part. That's what he gave as a whole. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 17 we just talked about this one here a few weeks back. It said, pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but what? Understand what the Lord's will is. There we are back to this passage in Colossians of him saying that I pray that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom. Consistently then over into Ephesians, Paul writes that as well. Paul says, look, I want you to know how to walk, not as unwise, but as wise, so that you'll make the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but I want you to understand what the Lord's will is. Now, how does, how does that how does that tie together? Here's what you get. When you know his will, it leads to you walking in wisdom, which leads to you properly using your gift of life and time. If you don't know God's will, then how can you walk in wisdom because you don't know the framework of God's will for you to stay within? See, I, I really just believe that if our world 
starting with the body of Christ, would come back to knowing God's will. What's some of God's will? I can promise you this. God's will is that people live together in unity. If we could get that to be understood within the body of Christ, we could break down some walls. We could tear down some barriers that separates people even within the body of Christ, where the people won't come together. Whether it's because that, 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 that they have slight denominational differences, whether it's because that there are racial differences, whether it is because that there are cultural differences. If we could get past and understand that God's will is for His body to operate and function together. Now, here's a, here's a, here's a, a funny thing. We have no problem understanding that if your legs aren't attached to your torso, your body can't get anywhere. All right? You know, you go, what are these legs? We're going to leave the legs laying over there. They're, they're going to be over there. But, but we're going to put the rest of the body over here, and then we're going to sit here and wonder how come we can't run. And, and then the legs are wondering, well, how come nothing's giving us direction and we can't see? And the head's going, how come, how come I can't move? We understand in the physical that a body has to be joined together in order for it to... It has to be in unity in order for it to be able to function. Well, if that's God's will, then why are we outside of God's will? We know that within a family... Oh, now I'm meddling. I ain't meddling with nobody in particular. But we know within a family that, that if a family is not unified... It doesn't function well, does it? I mean, just at the most basic level. It, your work team. If you got two people, how many, how many of you have ever been in a have you ever been in a rowboat, a canoe, something like that? Yeah. Terry threw her hand up, right? She's like, yeah, I've been in one. Have you ever been in a canoe or something where you're with other people? That's always the that's always the hardest one. And and you know that if you got if you got one person on one side and one person that's row, you know rowing on the other side, what happens if one of you is rowing this way and the other one is rowing this way? Go in circles. Yeah, go in circles. Because if you don't operate in unity, then what happens? You work against each other. You don't get any. Neither one of you gets anywhere. You go, hey, you know what? I think I just saw that spot. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think we've been here before. I better stop doing that or I'll fall down here. In unity. He says, pay careful attention as to how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. If we begin to grasp God's will, first at a personal level, what's God's will for you? Go read God's word and find out where it says this is the will of God. The Bible says things like, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. You need to go look that one up. See what it is. See what he's telling you that he wants you to do. And this is the will of the Lord. Look that up and see what it says that he's wanting to be in your life. Because when we start getting that at a personal level, then it will change how we interact with other people. And when we begin to change how we interact with other people because God's working on us at a personal level, we will begin to change how we operate as a church. When we begin to change how we operate as a church because we change how we operate within each other because God is working independently on us, then we will change how we operate as a body of Christ. It's just, it's just that simple. I wish that I, I, I also could pray... This same thing that, that Paul prayed here in Colossians. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom. 
How many of us get up each morning and pray and say, God, I want to walk in your will today. Let me see it in your word. Let me recognize it in my decisions today. Let me stay directly in the center of your will every waking moment of this day. See, sometimes I think what we do is we get up and we hit the ground. As soon as our feet hit the, hit the floor beside the bed, we're praying, God, I need you to do this for me today. God, I need you to answer this thing for me today. God, I got this that's going to happen at work today, so I need you to do this. We're looking, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I got to have this. God, I need you to move in this. Instead of all, first thing, saying, God, before anything, I'm going to give you praise. I'm going to give you glory. I thank you for letting the sun come up or the clouds happen, whatever it is, because it's all within your plan. Father, I thank you for the breath that's in my body, even if I'm aching, even if I'm hurting, even if I've got some, some things that are going on. God, I praise you for letting me see another day. God, I praise you for giving me another chance. God, thank you. That I'm going to, I, hopefully, I'm going to be able to share a smile with somebody, share the love of Christ. I'm going to be able to share the gospel, whatever it is. And then, God, I want to be in your will today. I want to find it in your word. See, if you pray that, then it's going to force you to think about it. I need to read. I need to read God's word. God, I want to find it in your word. God, I want to see it in the decisions I make. And if, if you start the day setting that off as a tone, then the, the, the decisions that start to come your way, you start going, now, now what would be God's will in this? What would be God's plan in this? If we start our day out that way, if we start out from the very first moment saying, God, I want to be in the center of your will, but knowing it is not enough. Knowing his will is simply not enough. We have to have the wisdom to see how to apply it. Then, then, according to what his word says, and only then will we walk in a way that makes the most of every moment. Here's the thing. I, the introductory video, you go, what does that video have to do with anything that you're talking about today? Now, and change the story. You know, you, you had... You had uh, someone who's uh, a young lady struggling with her, with her school, and you had uh, a, a man who was struggling with being alone. You had a marriage that was falling apart. You had a guy who was struggling with addiction. And it got to the end, and it said, when you open your eyes, when you open your ears, then we can change the story. That's why God put it on my heart to open with that. Here's why. Because when we begin to operate with a knowledge of God's will... And we begin to operate with wisdom on how to practically apply His will. We can change people's stories, including God wants to change our own. You know, for a lot of us, the truth is probably that we get up every day and we go through the motions and we live life and we work toward maybe Wednesday when we're going to come to church and then we work toward Sunday morning and maybe we come to Bible study on Sunday night. But we just kind of go through the same things. Most of us probably spend more time anticipating vacations or trips or things like that than we do anticipating seeing God's will, knowing His will, and living His will out. We, we begin to plan for a vacation. We, we know two months in advance we're going to do it, and so we start tucking money aside. We make sure we got vacation time. We make sure somebody's going to take care of the dogs. We get all this stuff lined up because, man, we're looking forward with anticipation toward this trip, this moment, this thing we're going to do. And we live that time frame, that two months, we live it looking at that that event out there. And sometimes the days just go by. 
hey, it's another week going by. Man, we're already, guys, we're already at the end of the first month of 2017. Already. Let's see, I think Wednesday is February the 1st, right? Wednesday will be two years of the existence of Unity Point. And it seems at times like it was 10 years ago, and at other times it seemed like it was two weeks ago. Time just goes by. Look at your kids. You remember when they were two, three, five? There's some of them, there's some of them here, you know, back in here today. That's about the age they are. Man, I remember that. And I got one that's 24. One is 17. Seems like it was just like that. When we begin to operate within the knowledge of God's will, because we're in his word, we're seeing what he says, and then we're allowing the Holy Spirit to bring wisdom into our lives so that we know how to apply that into everyday moments, it can change our story. The most important thing for today, even in my mind, is... What about the person if they're sitting here today and they their story is, I don't really know Christ. I have not, you know, yeah, I prayed some prayer when, you know, when I was a kid and it was vacation Bible school or whatever else, but my life has never been aligned with God's will. I've, I've never really sought that. I've not, I've not tried to live that way. There really wasn't any change. And, and my story needs to be different. I, I want to know God's will. At times, I desperately realize I need to know God's will because I'm blind sitting here looking at something, have no idea what's supposed to happen. I, I need to know God's will. I need God's wisdom in how to apply in this given situation. And so here's the reality. Stories can change today. I want you guys to bow your heads. We're going to pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that even as Paul prayed that he wanted to...